Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to Dwell. This is the Cersei podcast for homeschooling moms by homeschooling moms. I'm Renee Mathis, one of your co-hosts, along with my other co-host, Karen Kern. Go ahead and say hi, Karen. Hi. Hi, Renee. We're so glad to be here. And today we have a special guest for you. And I get the privilege of introducing him. And our special guest is Josh Krebs. And Josh is a home, he comes from a homeschool family. He was homeschooled one of six children. He is now married with six children of his own. And Josh is a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Jackson, Tennessee with LifeWorks Resources. And in addition to that, he also works in counseling services at Union University where he sees college students. And so today our topic is getting ready for college. And we have invited Josh to come share with us um, both from his perspective as a homeschooling dad and also as a counselor um, and talk to us a little bit about the things that he's seen. And I'm going to be real upfront with y'all and say that um, I'm so excited that Josh is here because Josh is my son-in-law. He's married to my oldest daughter, Katie, and they are parents of six of my grandchildren who are, of course, wonderful, brilliant, adorable, and all those good things. But um, Josh has a lot of wisdom to share, and I'm really thankful that he was able to be with us today. So welcome, Josh. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Karen, you had a couple of really good questions, and so I'm going to let you kick us off here, and then we'll see where it takes us. So when thinking about this topic today, um, I realized that it's been a while since I had a child in college. Our oldest is 36, and our youngest is 28, so he graduated about five or six years ago, and I am sure that the college scene is a little bit different now, and I'm wondering what um, what struggles does the typical freshman come into college with? And I would assume that the very fact that they're in college means that their academic skills are sufficient, if not excellent. And um, and I guess we're coming at this from the perspective of a child who is homeschooled. So 
Um, you know, they're, they're obviously able to be there, but what are the current types of challenges that kids come to college with maybe um, in their life skills and in just the way that they approach uh, the college life with all that that entails from the time they get dropped off at the door with all their stuff? Sure. I mean, generally speaking, counseling, not not just uh, homeschool kids, but also private and public school kids, I think generally there is a life skill deficit that we're seeing amongst uh, college age freshmen as they're coming in. They don't know how, how to budget their money for groceries. They don't know how to make a doctor's appointment. They don't know how to um, reach out to a professor for help. They don't know how to schedule tutoring. So just a lot of kind of life skills related to scheduling and budgeting and time management. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's hard for me to think back being a college student. I also feel like I didn't necessarily come in with all of those skills either, but I do feel like there's been a shift over the last few years of students who are saying, I don't know how to change the tire on my car if I get a flat tire. And so I just can't make it to class that day. Or, hey, I'm not feeling well. And if I, if no one's ever walked me over to where health, where health services is on campus, I don't know how to find the nurse. And, and so there's a, there does seem to be a, a little bit less of an independent mindset there. I think then specifically with homeschoolers, you know, we do see some uniqueness just in the social environments um, and adjustment to dorm life, student life kind of on a campus setting. They kind of add to those, maybe not the best uh, skills at communicating outside of their own family culture when it comes to their peers. We find they tend to communicate really well with professors um, and other, you know, other adults, but maybe not super well with their peers. That's interesting that that I can see that um, from many homeschoolers that I've come in contact with is that they really would know how to pursue that kind of questions with the adult, but might be a little more difficult to make friends or to know how to, you know, act and react in social settings that they're not familiar with. Yeah. And I think with that, you know, there's kind of three categories of struggles that I've noticed specifically with homeschoolers. The first one is that just the adjustment from the home environment to the dorm environment. Um, learning how to solve or knowing how to solve problems interpersonally without an authority figure being involved. Um, Knowing how to live with people with very different kind of expectations for the shared living space, Uh, maybe different, you know, living space rules than they're accustomed to. And then the other one that kind of comes up a good bit is the sense of um, homeschoolers, we know from research, tend to be very conscientious. They're very thoughtful of kind of right and wrong. What's the right way to do something? What's the wrong way to do something? But the struggle is that when you're moving into a living space with people who come from a different background, that can translate to inflexibility. And so there can be some real inflexibility in how they want to see things done and whether or not they can kind of see an alternate way as um, also potentially working or being positive. And so with that, we get this kind of tension of one thing that really is just interesting is the number of homeschool students who come to me and say, like, I'm just not used to always being around people, (laughs) right? Um, Especially not always being around people who are my age, who have all the same struggles as me and all the same, you know, kind of problems or or all the same stresses. And, And in some ways, this is a great benefit of homeschool life in that most of life is not spent simply purely around your peers. 
Um, it's spent with a, around a wide variety of people. The struggle is that college is a time of life that's spent predominantly around your peers. And so it's actually funny to see that homeschool students oftentimes can adjust well to life after college better than they can adjust to life in college. Wow. That makes a lot of sense because I'm I'm thinking back and thinking, okay, with my own kids, what what do I wish I had done differently? And I, I know one thing after seeing their struggles in college would be, I, I wish we had spent more time on resolving conflict with people you live with. Because mm-hmm. I, I confess, it's very easy as the mom to say, you know, all right, y- y'all are great kids. You're obedient. When I ask you to do something, you do it. Or, or we're not going to have girl drama, you know, and, and we don't. And then what do you do with kids who are raised without girl drama and they throw them into a dorm where they're in a room with four girls or, you know, I, I really wish I had spent more time on that. So how would you spend more time um, on that? You know, like they would have to be done in conversation, I right? I don't like, that's a really, that's a really good scenario example. Yeah. So Josh, do you have some good resources or, or, or how do we start building these things into our kids? One of the things that I oftentimes kind of ask as an assessment question on whether or not a, a child is really ready for that transition is, how well do you see your child resolving conflict with their peers or other adults without um, an authority's intervention, right? And so, you know, a lot of it is giving kids the emotional space to go through kind of the troubles of leaving a conflict unresolved and, you know, maybe saying, you know, uh, it happens all the time with my kids where it's like, well, you know, uh, my brother promised to go outside and play with me. If I sat down and played Mario Kart with him, we've now played Mario Kart and he's refusing to go outside and play with me. Okay, well, so what are you going to do to resolve that? Well, next time he asks me to play Mario Kart, I'm not going to play Mario Kart. Okay, that's a resolution, right? And so it kind of teaches those skills of um, kind of the social contract idea of teaching those skills. Let them come to their own resolutions. Not that doesn't mean you don't ever step in. Um, I've got young children who their way of solving that conflict is to haul off and slap their sibling. And obviously, at that point, I'm going to step in. But especially as they get older, giving them that space to come to their own agreements and own bargaining um, with their peers or or in our case, oftentimes with their siblings so that they understand, hey, there's a give and take in every relationship and finding the balance of that give and take is a skill that we all kind of constantly have to work on. I would imagine that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, that, that idea that to keep in mind without an authority figure. So as parents, it gives us a goal to shoot for. This is the road we're on that I I might help you while you're younger, learn how to resolve this because I am going to step in when needed. But as you get older, we're, you know, we're going to step back and step back and, and, and until you can do this on your own and, and I think it's sometimes we as homeschoolers, we are guilty of falling into the trap of, well, we're in a big family or we're always around people. And so, um, of course, they're learning all of this, right? It's just part of the fact they've been dropped into this providentially. That's where God has them growing up. And so we just assume that they know this without actually sitting down and saying, let's let's have some conversations about this. Do we really know this as well as I think we do? Maybe yeah, not. I was I was going to say that that it would probably come as a surprise to these kids because they've already thought they've figured that out. And then they find out that they're in this very close space with people and, and 
they it's all new. That's probably comes as a surprise. Well, one of the things I hear so often from homeschoolers when they come to me with these, especially with dorm conflicts or things like that, and they'll say phrases like, but that's obviously not the best way to do it. And my response is, well, if it were obviously not the best way to do it, then your roommate would not be suggesting doing it that way. Right? So it's, it's not obviously not the right way to do it. It is not a way that you can see any other way of doing it. So, you know, so you, you've got to learn, hey, just because it seems obvious to me, one, doesn't mean it's obvious to everyone else. And two, doesn't mean it's even the only way of doing it. Hmm. And so that's where sometimes, you know, I think when I, when I talk to these students, a lot of times they, they'll even come to me kind of as an authority figure for approval of what they're saying should happen or whether or not someone's right or wrong. And the reality is I kind of have to say as a therapist, Hey, like really there's not a moral, uh, it's not a moral decision, whether you do the dishes on Saturday or Sunday, you think they should be done on Saturday so that you can relax on Sunday and your roommate doesn't want to do them on Saturday. Y'all are going to have to come to a bargained agreement on when the dishes are getting done, right? Y'all need to resolve this conflict because there isn't a moral right or wrong answer. It just, it's whatever y'all decide. And a lot of times in homeschool families, because there's a family culture and things are done the way that the parents want them done and nothing particularly wrong with that, kids don't learn to come up with their own ways of alternate ways of solving a problem. So sometimes as parents, we have to put our kids in situations intentionally where they're forced to come up with a solution, right? So, hey, I need you all to go clean the kitchen. Okay, well, but, you know, I don't like doing the dishes and, you know, she doesn't like sweeping the floor. Okay, well, then figure out who's going to do what task. Well, can't you just tell us? No, I can't just tell you. You need to go figure out who's going to do what task. You can come out of the kitchen when the kitchen's clean. And it forces them to kind of have these negotiations and go back and forth and bargain and, and to a place where both of them feel like they're getting um, an, equal, uh, an equal part of the deal. And that's a skill that sadly a lot of homeschoolers don't have, mostly just because they don't have to practice that. Usually they're able to have someone step in and say, okay, well, you do this and you do this. So that, that's kind of a, an area uh, that is interpersonal. I'm I'm wondering if you could um, talk about w- one of the other things you mentioned earlier, uh, particularly budgeting or scheduling, where they have to take responsibility for something that they may be haven't had to take before uh, in that kind of very particular life skill that just involves themselves. So because you talked about interpersonal, so I'll talk about their own particular issues that's just them. So, I mean, in that sense, one of the things that I really strongly encourage parents to do is one from, I would say probably high school age on start expecting your children to make their own phone calls. Like if they need to go to the doctor, tell them to call the pediatrician or their doctor and set up a doctor's appointment. If they need to go to the dentist, tell them to call and set up the appointment, right? If they need, you know, if they need a pair of uh, gym shorts for um, an athletic event they've got coming up, have them do the research of where they're going to get them and give them a budget and have them plan that out, right? I encourage um, you to give your, at least by the age of high school, for you to give your kids a bank account um, with some amount of money in it that they have to budget and then have them have bills that they have to pay out of that bank account. So, hey, you know what? You have one of the 
you know, five cell phones on our cell phone bill. Our cell phone bill is this much. One fifth of that is this. You're expected to pay for that portion of the cell phone bill, right? Um, even if you're giving them the money and then expecting it back, it, keep, it gives them the idea of, okay, budgeting. And, has, and if they don't pay it, take their cell phone, <laughs> you know? Um, but And then along with that, some of the other elements um, of just the reliance that a lot of homeschools, and this is not true of just homeschools, this is true of kind of all kids in the current generation on their parents to kind of keep track of them and keep track of their academics is it just, this is just a plea as a therapist. If you are a parent who is sending your kids off to college and they are currently sharing their location with you on Life360, please stop that when they go to college. Can you tell me what Life360 is? My kids are so far past that. I don't know what that is. Life360 is an app that you can have on your phone. And it basically allows you to track um, where your kids are via their phone. And so if you've got high school kids who are out driving and you're, you know, you want to make sure that they're safe and they're going where they're supposed to be and they're coming back, that's really what it's for, right? And it'll alert you if like your their car comes to a sudden stop that they might have been in an accident, things like that. All of that is completely understandable as your kids are learning to drive and kind of going through that growing process. But once they get to college, they need the independence of being expected to be where they're going to be with nobody checking up on them, right? And really, probably it's a good idea to give them some of that responsibility before they leave home. Hey, we expect you to be here. Here are the consequences if you're not. And then don't track them. Don't send them reminders. Just give them the consequences if they don't show up. Of course, I joke with people that, you know, the only way my parents knew I was alive when I was in college is if I called them on a on a landline. Um, and, uh, you know, but now I will have parents reach out to me as a counselor and say, hey, um, can you excuse, can you write an excuse for my son not showing up for his class this morning? I forgot to call him and wake him up. That wow. is never a line that a parent of a college child should utter. If you have to call and wake up your child, you've not trained them in the independence they need to be at college. They need to wait until they've gained some of that independence. So daily scheduling. Even scheduling out their own homework um, and coursework, I really encourage parents to put the weight of that on them with deadlines and things of when it's expected to be done with legitimate consequences. And that kind of shifts into the academic side where, you know, Karen, you mentioned like you would assume if they're going to college that they're academically prepared to be there. But I actually find a lot of times that Homeschoolers are so used to having their academics individualized. Then if they go to a school where they're in large classrooms, where maybe they don't have a one-on-one relationship with their professor, while they know how to go to that professor and ask for clarification or something like that, they really struggle to know how to meet the expectations of their professor, right? And so there can be this kind of tension of, well, you know, this is an assignment that doesn't make sense to me. And in high school, if I told my mom, hey, the curriculum says I'm supposed to write a paper about this, but it doesn't make sense, my mom would just change what the paper was about. Most professors are not going to change what the paper's about, <laughs> right? Um, they're going to say, okay, well, you need to figure out how to write the paper that I've asked you to write. And so there can be some struggles and tensions with um, in the individual individualization of their education in college. Um and then also when they have to work in peer groups, there could be some struggles because again, like we talked about in, in just kind of the dorm life, also these groups were now they're a part of a project, a group project, 
And everyone kind of has to take a hold of a piece of that and do it and turn it in. And most homeschoolers that I know kind of come in with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They have to prove that home education is just as good as everybody else's education. So they are really trying to excel academically. But not everyone who comes to college is equally obsessed with with excellence, right? And so they have to get used to working in groups where, hey, this person may wait to the last minute to turn in their part of the the group assignment, or they may show up to class and just not really be interested in the discussion. You don't have control over that. And so you have to learn to interact with people of varying motivation levels, varying motivations for being at college. And that can be complicated in the academic um, environment as well. Um, and then on top of that, also, uh, some whole schoolers just struggle with classroom etiquette. Um, but I, I feel like oftentimes those homeschoolers, it's more than just, hey, I've never been in a classroom before. It's I'm not used to having to interact in kind of a with an authority figure that isn't my parents. So it's a, a smaller subgroup, but it's still a part of that. So learning how to act in a classroom is, is one of the basic skills you might say one of the basic life skills um yeah and I, and I can see going along with that I was I was the, for the years that I taught in a classroom setting in a homeschool tutorial I always appreciated it when it was the student who would send me the email asking the question not their mom right because I thought go mom because you're putting the responsibility for this on your kids to to tell me that they were going to be absent, to ask what the makeup work would be, to ask when they could, you know, do those things. So. Yeah, absolutely. Think, absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge part of teaching that skill. Yeah. 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 Taste of that. yeah. And I think along with that is that element of, um, I have this tendency as a homeschool parent, right? When my kid asks me, one of my children asks me to explain something to them is instead of saying, I think I've given you enough information to do this assignment. I'm not going to have a 45-minute conversation with you about it um, and basically do the assignment with you verbally, right? You need to just go look at what I've already told you and and work on it. And if you do it wrong, then we'll talk about it then. But I need you to at least make the effort to try to do it right without me explaining it over and over again, right? And so I have to fight that temptation even even with myself when I talk to kids, to my kids, of, I think you've got enough information. I think that you're wanting to verbally process your assignment with me. You need to go verbally process your assignment with someone else. You know, that's not what your professor is for. Your professor is not there to verbally process every paper you're going to write for them, right? Mm -hmm. Part of that academic work is learning to do that processing on your own. And so there's kind of sometimes this thing where I'll have professors say, man, I've got this kid in my class and I swear um, he would take up every single office hour I have if he could to talk about the class. And that's great, but that's why I'm teaching the class so that he gets the information in the class, right? And so just kind of learning to do that. You would think most homeschoolers are good at independent work. And a lot of times they are, but they're oftentimes good at independent work when they have someone to bounce that work off of because mom is always there to bounce the work off of. Right. I have another question for you. Going back to the the Life three hundred and sixty thing, um, that that makes sense, and I, I, it's yeah, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit that parents are doing that. Okay, but on the other side of things, mm-hmm. when so let, let's say as a parent, you know, you you've pulled that umbilical cord, you cut that cord, literally metaphorically, 
you're not checking up on your kids and that's good. What what is a good healthy level of contact? Number one, what are some good tips for parents on how to have a, a good level of contact and interaction that's not helicoptering or whatever? And and what are some danger signals perhaps that parents should be aware of? Um, because when your your kid is half a continent away or a plane ride away and you can't be there if there's a problem, some advice there. Sure. I mean, obviously, it varies from person to person. What is the healthiest level of communication as far as frequency? Um, I, I mean, I would say, on the whole, probably somewhere between two to five conversations a week. I mean, that's a, a rough estimate. I think if you're having a lot more than that, then you're really you're becoming their daily check-in person, which, as I think any parent any parent would love to be their child's daily check-in person as they're you know, as they're getting older, but really you need them if they're, especially the further away from you, you they are geographically, the more they need to find daily check-in people and mentors local to them, people who are there to see how they're doing day to day, because it's not something you can see from um, a thousand miles away. And the effort that it would take to see how they're doing day to day from a thousand miles away would be way too much contact, Right. And so I think some of it is setting that boundary of, hey, I want you to find people there that you trust that are checking in on you, that are verifying that you're okay. But then I want you to be honest with me about how things are going so that I know that you're okay. So the two big warning signs that I always tell parents is if your child tells you everything is great every time they talk to you, that's a bad sign because no college freshman is experiencing everything on cloud nine. And if your child tells you everything is terrible, um, because there are a lot of fun things going on in college. If, you know, if they're only experiencing the terrible things, they're really not doing well, right? Some balance between things going great and things going terrible. Of course, we all know that our kids have different personalities. I've got, you know, um, a, a five-year-old who is just the everything is awesome, you know, Lego movie theme song, I think, plays in his head 24 hours a day, Right. And then I've got an eight-year-old who is a despondent child all of the time, despite things being perfectly okay, right? And so, like, I just know that if my eight-year-old comes to me and she goes, Daddy, it was the worst day, I'm like, oh, so it was a pretty normal day then. But if my five-year-old comes to me and says, it was the worst day, I'm like, oh, my gosh, who died, right? And And so, some of that is knowing your children's personality. But I think, generally speaking, if you're getting all good or all bad, it's probably not a good sign. And so one of the things that I tell parents often as their kids are growing up too is, you know, we obviously want to train them to do hard things. We want to train them to be able to do the right thing, even when the emotions aren't always there, right? We want to help them kind of train that self-regulation of things are difficult, but I'm okay. Or, you know, um, things are scary, but I'm still going to do it, Right. And a lot of times the way we try to do that is we try to explain to our children how they ought to feel. Um, And that's not really helpful in teaching a child self-regulation. That's helpful in teaching our child, you know, authority regulation. Hey, I'm going to tell you how to feel and then you should feel that way. And so oftentimes what happens is homeschoolers are told, hey, you know, you should really be, you should do great in college. You shouldn't have any trouble. We've trained you well, go off and have a great time at school. And what that tells them is don't call me and tell me that school isn't going well. 
right? Well, that's not good emotional self-regulation. You want your kids to be able to respond genuinely in how they're feeling emotionally and then still also do the things they need to do, right? So one of the things that I tell parents, especially of kind of pubescent children, as they're getting all those wonderful hormones that we love so much, um, is I tell them, hey, if you ask your kid to go do something and they roll their eyes and stomp off to their room, don't correct them for, roll, for rolling their eyes and stomping off to their room. I know as a parent of a 13-year-old and 11-year-old that it is the initial reaction when they roll their eyes to be like, don't you dare roll your eyes at me. But the reality is that what they are doing in that moment is exactly what I want them to do as an adult. They are expressing genuine emotion and then doing what I've asked them to do, right? Now, if they talk back or do something disrespectful, that's breaking a rule, right? There's, there are rules there. But expressing emotion and then also doing what they're supposed to do, that's exactly what we all are trying to do as adults. We're trying to feel the way we feel about it genuinely, but then also be able to carry on with what we need to do. I find a lot of homeschoolers struggle with that. Um, and one of the things that I, I actually had this conversation um, with a homeschooler just about a week ago, and so I kind of wrote down what they said is, um, she said one of her biggest struggles is that her parents told her that there was nothing to worry about. And so then she went to college thinking there was nothing to worry about and found out that there absolutely were things to worry about. And now she felt lied to by her parents, but also felt like she wasn't allowed to worry about them. So now she's in this quandary of like, well, who do I, who do I have these genuine conversations of things I'm worried about with? Because I don't really trust my parents because they said there was nothing to worry about, but I, but I am worried and these things are scary. And how, so like, that's something we have to be careful of, not telling our kids how to feel but letting them learn how to feel and then also do the right thing. That is so helpful. I think that's helpful for kids, for parents of kids at any age, you know, younger ones, for sure, older ones. Um, what are, I have a question about temptations. What are, what are some of the things that they're faced with that even 10 years ago, kids in college weren't faced with? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's things that are so accessible now that they shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. And it's right there and everybody's doing it, you know, like things that come to mind are, oh, pot gummies or whatever we call them, whatever they're called. I don't think they're actually called that, but you know, like things that are, that there's a segment of even Christian kids that go, oh, everybody's doing it. It's fine. You know, and then a parent might get a feeling or an intuition. Oh, my child seems like they're not, like they've changed or they're not eating, they're not sleeping, they seem anxious. And, you know, we know our kids well enough, generally speaking, that that, that would alert us. But then, you know, like what are those temptations that are currently on scene? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting, I think, in, in my mind, as I think about, so what's ha- what's changed? And really the biggest thing that's changed is technology because we talk about, you know, we talk about things like pot and, and, and certainly it's as available as it's ever been, if not more so. Um, but I mean, I went to a private Baptist college. I went to union where I work now. And uh, I mean, I could have gotten pot any day of the week on union's yeah. campus when I was a college student 20 years ago. Right. Um, and so I, I think some of those things, the temptation hasn't really changed. Maybe the acceptability has changed. Um, but not really a temptation. The areas where I see students struggle a lot are things like cyberbullying is a huge one. Um, jumping into kind of the social media sphere and really having no regulation on what they say. And there are all, all kinds of apps. Um, 
you know, Union has had uh, issues with an app um, called Yik Yak, which is, uh, you know, it's essentially a social media app where things are anonymous and you can't really trace them very well. And so, you know, you have people cyberbullying without any real way of tracing the bullying or people making, you know, claims about faculty or staff or other students and starting rumors. And there's not really a way to get back to who started the rumor. You know, Facebook, somebody starts a rumor, you can usually trace it to the profile of, who, of whoever started the rumor, right? But on Yik Yak, that's not available, right? So you end up with these really, you know, quite emotionally distraught college students who are like, someone started a rumor that I'm sleeping with my professor and I don't even know who started the rumor. And there's no way to get the rumor done away with because Yik Yak doesn't respect the university's policies. Yik Yak's not going to remove a post. So you have a lot of the cyberbullying in kind of the social media sphere is really one of the biggest struggles I see. And that's just with college students across the board. I think that's a kind of a universal struggle. Um, the other side of that, though, is this, um, you know, this struggle with knowing limits, knowing what, you know, what they can handle and what they can't, right? And this is more, I guess, common for homeschool students because oftentimes, you know, a big part of why people choose to homeschool is peer pressure, the concerns about peer pressure and concerns about safety and concerns about, um, you know, setting good limits and boundaries. And so a lot of those are kind of top-down limits, right? Hey, you're not going to stay up all night playing your video game. Well, guess what? You go to college, there's no one there to tell you you can't stay up all night and play your video games, right? And so I've had multiple homeschoolers come to me and they're like, hey, I don't even know how to not stay up all night and play my video games at this point, right? Because I've never, I've never had someone be like, hey, you know, you do what you, you, you set your bedtime when you want, you do what you want, but tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., you're going to be up doing schoolwork, right? And so some of that it goes back to that letting kids learn to self-regulate. If you've got, you know, if you've got kids in high school and you're still setting a bedtime for them, um, I don't know that setting a bedtime for your high schoolers is necessary. I would set a, set a time when they're expected to start on their schoolwork because, you know, that's going to happen. You know, set a time when they're expected to get chores done because that's part of their work around the house or have them get a job that they have to show up to over the summers. Right. But setting arbitrary bedtime is an arbitrary line until it's not right. You have to go to bed at 10 p.m. So you get enough rest is an arbitrary thing if they don't have to wake up until noon. But you need to go to bed every night at 10 becomes way less arbitrary when, like me, you've got a, a two year old who's going to wake up at 6 a.m. Right. I don't have a set bedtime. I go to bed when I'm tired and it's normally not that late. Right. <laughs> um, and so part of what you want to do is let, let young adults, uh, you know, let high schoolers as they're kind of growing into these young adults, let them learn to do some of that self-regulating for themselves. So that when they get to college, it's not, well, my mom says I should go to, I should be in my dorm room by 10. It's if I don't, if I'm not in my dorm room by 10 then I'm not in bed till you know, midnight, and if I'm not in bed till midnight, there's no way I'm going to wake up at, you know, 7 a.m. to get to my 8 a.m. class and actually be able to pay attention. And I want to do well in school. So I'm going to choose to be in my dorm room by 10 o'clock. Right. And so it's that ownership, that self-ownership that they've got to take responsibility for. And that that can be really hard in that transition, especially kind of in that sophomore, a freshman, sophomore year, 
Freshman year, a lot of homeschoolers are able to get by with basically zero sleep because they're just really good academically. And then sophomore year, they've run out of um, the grace period on not sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been going more than our typical 30 minutes. Renee, do you have have any other questions or comments? Thanks, Josh. How can um, you don't really have a website personally, right? And at this point, you don't you like you're not speaking personally. Well, how how would people get a hold of you if they had a question? Probably the best way to get a hold of me would actually be through LifeWorks resources. Where my private practice, you can go to uh, www.lifeworksresources.com, um, and there's a contact uh-huh. form there. Um, we have a receptionist here. If you put my name in there, she will get in, get a hold of me. She will get whatever message you get to me, um, and then usually. You know, I'm very open to be in contact with people, happy to have emails and, and talk with people um, in that way. It just that's usually the easiest way. OK, that's great. I know by the time this airs, you will have already you're, you are doing an online webinar on this topic for people. By the time this airs, that will have already happened. But, um, you know, as always, folks who listen, if you all want to put a question for us on our Facebook group page or, you know, contact Karen or I through Cersei, we can always get a question to Josh. Yeah, this was so helpful. I feel like we skimmed the surface of so many topics and maybe you could come back on and do a little more in-depth on one area of what we've talked about. Sure. I would love to. Yes. That would, it was, I think it was really helpful. And I will say, Renee, you mentioned that uh, by the time this airs, I'll have done a webinar, but we are going to release that as a a recording after the fact um, on our website. So, you know, by the time this airs, it should be up and available and you can go, it's $5. You'll be able to look at the record, listen to the recording. And so we're going to do about an hour and a half. Um, and then take about a half hour's worth of questions on exactly what we've talked about today. So if your questions don't get answered in that, then definitely reach out. And uh, I would love to answer any questions you have. Well, that's really helpful. Thank you, Josh. It's great to see you and to talk to you and to meet you and to um, introduce you to our listeners. I know it was really helpful. So until next time, here's to home. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.